This morning, we're going to look at James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. So if you have your Bible sitting there with you, you can open up to that. Um, last week, we looked at uh, verses 9 through 18, and we talked about trials and temptations. We were reminded that God tests us, but he does not tempt us, right? Uh, it's our own evil desires, James says, that, that latch on to the temptations around us and drag us away into sin. Excuse me. And so that's a good reminder for us to, to kind of have in our, in our heads as we go into this passage today. We're going to look at, uh, like I said, James 1, 19 through 27. As, as believers, we've been made new creations in Christ. And yet, at the same time, uh, I, I've heard people put it this way, that we're, we're between the already and the not yet. We've been made new in Christ, but we're also being made uh, being renewed in that image, and uh, and that will be completed um, at his return or when we go to be with him. And so uh, so there's this already of, of salvation, and yet there's this not yet, this this uh, yet to be completed. Um, and so, uh, so part of that then is as believers, we still have these evil desires and this sin that lingers in us. It's part of this old self. Paul talks about that, uh, th that we die to our old self or we put off our old self. And um, that, those, that sin and those evil desires, they're not part of the new self uh, that's being remade in the image of Christ. And so um, we, have, we have something new within us that can help us put sin and evil desires to death and live freely in Christ. The drawing power of temptation around us is cut off by the word of God implanted in us. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so in today's passage, um, James is going to, he, he calls believers not only to listen to God's word, but also to do what it says. And, and in these verses in particular, he's going to focus on controlling the tongue. And so this, I think, is, a, is another timely subject for us, considering all that's going on right now in our world, and especially right now in our country uh, and in our state. Um, I'm sure you've been, you've, if you've gone on any kind of news, you've seen just the unrest that's, that's taken place uh, over this um, unjust uh, uh, death of, of killing of George Floyd. And we're actually experiencing even some of that in, in local areas. Bree just told me this morning at East Peoria, there was uh, fires set out by Lowe's and, and uh, some looting and rioting and things like that. So um, it's close to home. And so there's just this, this unrest over coronavirus things, over racial things, over all kinds of stuff. And, and to, to think about that, um, uh, even before these, these scenarios gave uh, uh, opportunity um, for those things to, for that rage and unrest to be expressed, I think it's easy for, or I think it's, I think we're safe to say that we live currently in a culture of rage. Uh, it, uh, it's been dubbed a cancel culture. You, you find out some, something that someone did 20 years ago and, um, and, and you wanna bring them to justice for it now, especially among the, the celebrity culture and, and the, you know, the, the, those that are um, 
on the radio or behind the camera or in front of the camera, those kinds of things. Um, people find skeletons in your closet and then they want to end your career because of it. So um, there was even a, a road rage shooting uh, in Peoria the other night uh, on, I think it was on I-74 um, or I-55 or something like that. But, but just this, this angst that, that we have, that the culture around us has. Um, and, and so today's passage is really going to speak to that. Um, and, and, and more so uh, of the angst that we feel in our own hearts and the rage that we want to express sometimes um, toward these things that we see as, as unjust. Um, and some of them rightfully so, but James is going to put it in, into perspective for us. And so here's what we need to remember from, from these verses. Today, uh, we must rely on God's word in us to control the words that come out of us. We must rely on God's word in us to control the words that come out of us. So I want to read James uh, chapter 1, verses 19 through 27, and then pray. And then we'll just kind of work our way back through it. So let me read it. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for human anger does not accomplish the, uh, God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding ourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. The one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and preserves in it, or perseveres in it, and is not for a forgetful hearer, but a, doer of, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, it guides us as a way of life. We thank you that it reveals uh, who you are and who Christ is and who the Spirit is and the roles that each of you play in our lives. We, we thank you that it reveals our, ourselves who we are, uh, both before and uh, now in Christ. And so, Lord, would you, would you take this word this morning uh, that is implanted in our hearts, that, is, uh, that the Spirit leads us into as truth, and would you take it and would you help us to not only hear it, but to obey it. For your glory, for our good, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So James is, is essentially going to give... Um, the an exhortation a, a command for for his readers to follow then he's going to give an illustration uh just really kind of um shoring up why that command is important and then he's going to give a, a summary essentially of of um what this looks like in the life of, of the believer so um so the first thing is the exhortation and it's ultimately to be like god okay um look at verses 19 and 20 he says, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Now, 
just like he started his letter, he calls himself James, a servant of God and the Lord, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, I'm, I'm Jesus's brother. He's not, he's not playing that card of authority. He's, he's humbling himself and, and giving them this um, picture of, of humility to follow. Same thing here. Before he gives the exhortation, he's, he calls him my dear brothers and sisters. This is an affectionate plea. He's, he's modeling what he's about to exhort them to do, what he's about to tell them to do. Remember, there's division among uh, the, the readers here, the people he sent this letter to. There's rich people. There's poor people. There's people that are going after worldliness. They're getting angry at each other. Um, and so, so James wants to remind them that, that even in calling them his own brothers and sisters, that, uh, hey, listen, um, Christ has died for that person that you're angry at. Christ has died for them. They are your brother and sister in Christ. And so he, um, he's setting the stage here. He could scold them, right? He, he's an apostle. He, he's Jesus's brother. Um, but he uses these terms of unity, brothers and sisters, and endearment, my dear brothers and sisters, while still being firm then in what he's about to call them to do. So what is he calling them to do? He says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. He's calling them to be like the God that they worship, to be holy as God is holy, in other words. Leviticus 19.2, God says to Moses, speak to the entire Israelite community and tell them, be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Peter says it in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. So James isn't saying anything new here. He's only repeating what he's heard from Christ himself. And, and what is consistent with both Old Testament and New Testament in the call of God for his people. Uh, and, and so, so um, how is James saying this, though? He, he's, uh, listen to how God describes himself in Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 through 7. It says, the Lord came down in a cloud, stood with him there, talking about Moses, when the glory of God passes by Moses, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And then it says this in, in verse 6 of Exodus 34. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Be holy as God is holy. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? Because God is those things. When we look at ourselves, we love to think about how God forgives iniquity, forgives rebellion, forgives sin, how we've been covered in grace. When we look outward toward others, we love to think about how God will not leave the guilty unpunished, right? If we're honest, I think, I think we all have that situation that we can think of right now, or maybe even that person or people that we are just like, man, they, they are, the Lord needs to just come right now and, and set this straight. And so in the name of righteousness, then we take it upon ourselves to, to, to make a whip, so to speak, to start turning over tables in the, in the temple and driving out evildoers. We, we tend to condemn those people that we see behaving in this way. 
both believers and unbelievers. But James says, slow down, hold on. He says, wait just a minute. Human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Now, this doesn't mean that all human anger is unrighteous. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 26, to be angry. But he also says in that same verse, and do not sin. He's quoting Psalm 4. You can read that later this week. That kind of, that kind of plays that out um, in, in a fuller way. But we need to understand the evil desires that James mentioned back in verse 14 and 15. Those, those evil desires that, that are, are within us, um, those things tend to keep our anger from being pure and righteous. Human anger uh, that is tainted by sin and evil desires has no ability to change someone else's heart. You can, you can yell and yell and yell all you want, and, and that's not going to bring about heart change. It doesn't bring about righteousness in someone else, nor does it reflect the righteousness of a God who is uh, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast and faithful love. Um, and so we must be holy as God is holy. We must be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Look at verse 21. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. James tells his readers, and remember, they're experiencing divisiveness and worldliness. He tells them to rid themselves of those things uh, that are, are um, not becoming of a, of a follower of Christ, that, are, that don't look like God, to rid themselves of of the moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent, not just in the world, but right now in their hearts, that they are more reflective, James is saying, of the world than they are of the God that they worship at, by their behavior right now is expressing those things. Um, and so he says to rid themselves of these things and submit themselves then to God's word, the, the implanted word, um, humbly receive that, he says, Paul, Paul says it this way, put off your old self and put on your new self. This is a concept that's repeated over and over and over in the New Testament as we are remade in the image of Christ and putting sin to death. We are living more and more in the freedom that we've been given in Christ. And, and so uh, our lives should reflect that. Um, oftentimes our anger is fueled by the moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent around us, right? We want to rid others of. We see it clearly in others. We want to rid them of it. But, but James says that we need to rid ourselves of it. Does that sound familiar? We looked at it a, a few weeks ago in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says to take the beam of wood out of your own eye first, and then you'll see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. You see, we're, remember, we're blind to our own sin, to our own evil desires, to our own uh, moral filth and, and evil that's so prevalent in our hearts. And we uh, were so ready to recognize it in others, though. But Jesus and James both say, hold on. You have to look at yourself. You, you need others to help you look at you and, uh, and to, to rid yourselves of those things. Galatians 6, right? Um, uh, if, if someone's caught in sin, that you who are spiritual, he's talking to the church there, come alongside them. But watch out so that you don't fall into the same trap that they do. 
we, we, there's this constant care that needs to be taken of our own souls and our own hearts uh, of, of from now until, until Jesus returns, until the culmination of our salvation happens, we, we are going to be ridding ourselves of, of the old self, of the, the filth and, and the, the evil that remains and continuing to, to put on that new self, as Paul says. Um, and, and how do we do that? By constantly and humbly receiving the implanted word of God that is able to save our souls. Uh, Paul talks about that in Ephesians and Colossians. He says, um, it is the gospel, uh, the word of truth uh, that you heard and now you believe. It's, it's brought about your salvation. But James is, is talking to believers here and so he's not just referring to their salvation, but he's uh, their their um, the, the gospel salvation that they've received in Christ, but but this eternal salvation to come, this final rescue to come, at the culmination of all things. And so so again, it plays into this endurance that he's been talking about in chapter one. Humbly receive is in direct contrast to human anger. Here, we have to be humble and receive God's word. And, and fight against the battle to give our angry words to others and uh, force that on them. So this, this implanted word, though, that he's talking about, he's referring to God's new covenant promise in uh, Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 31, it says this, God says, Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, this one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I am their master, the Lord's uh, declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts, the implanted word. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will, will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration, for I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. As God's new covenant people in Christ, this is, um, this is true for us. God's law is no longer written on tablets of stone it's now written on hearts of flesh. Um, I, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And this implanted word is the word of truth. It's the gospel that we have heard and believed resulting in our salvation. And it's preserving us, this word of truth that continues to lead and guide us and preserve us until the culmination of the salvation uh, that we're waiting for. Peter says that, that um, calls it the, uh, the goal of your faith. The salvation of your souls in First Peter nine, uh, one nine, and so, um, so this is this is an encouragement to us. This is something that we can remember and think that God has has taken and, and written His law upon our hearts. He's written uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ upon our hearts. When we heard this gospel, when we believed that Jesus truly did live a life of of righteous obedience on our behalf, and He truly did die our death that we deserve for our unrighteous disobedience. And he truly did rise from the grave to satisfy God's um, a, a wrath and, and, and desire for this perfect sacrifice. And then to free us to live freely in him 
uh, through his righteousness and not our own, um, this is really good news for us. And this is something that, that will keep us humble the more we remember that. And the more that we, we live that out, the slower we will be uh, to, to speak, the quicker we will be to listen to God's word and the slower we will be to anger. Um, and then when we actually do have anger, maybe just maybe it might be uh, more righteous uh, and Christ-like. But James, uh, he, he warns his readers against this deception of believing that they're destined for this final destination of salvation um, when they're not. So he's not calling them un unbelievers, but he's just offering this warning right here in the middle. And, and, and we, we saw this language last week of, of deceiving ourselves. And the root of that deception is our own sin. It's our own blindness to it, right? And so just in case there are um, those in, in this, the, the churches that he's writing to and the believers that he's writing to, uh, and we know this, not, there, there is no such thing as a perfectly pure church here on earth. There are, uh, there's, there's sin within our own hearts still as believers, but there are unbelievers who come and, and uh, are in among that. Um, and so, so the warning needs to be given that, that just because you hear the word of, of salvation doesn't mean you're saved. There's, there is more to it than that. Um, you need to hear it and believe it. Um, James says that true faith will give evidence of itself through obedience to God's implanted word. Uh, not, he's not pitting hearing and doing against each other here. He's not saying, um, don't be a hearer, be a doer. He's saying, don't only be a hearer, but also be a doer. There's a huge difference there. We can't just go out and do things willy-nilly and, and think that we're ob being obedient to God if we don't know what he, what he commands us to do. But we also can't just hear what God commands us to do and then do nothing about it. These two things have to go together. James says that hearing and doing cannot be separated in a believer's life. And that's what he's seeing in these uh, in these churches. So look at verse 23. So here, here he's going to give this illustration of, of a mirror. Verse 23 says, because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of a person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword. It's penetrating as far as the salvation or the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of our heart. When we look into the mirror of God's word, it reflects uh, the true nature of who we are, but it also reflects the true nature of who God is, and it shows us what we need and, and, and how God has met that need for us in Jesus Christ. And so um, when we read scripture, we need to understand that as we're doing that, scripture is reading us, and it is, it is exposing to us, helping us see uh, the more intently we stare into the, the mirror of God's word, the more um, we're going to see clearly our own blemishes, um, but not for condemnation, for transformation, because we're going to also be reminded of Christ's perfection. 
and we're going to see Christ in us and the spirit in us alive and, and active and working through the, re the, the revealing of God's truth and the understanding and the wisdom that we gain through the spirit as we, as we look intently into the word of God and are led uh, by that. Um, he says, stare into the, the perfect, looks intently into the perfect law of freedom. We need to understand that the Bible doesn't pit God's law against Christ. We need to understand that God gave us both the law and Christ, which means that the law is good. Paul talks about this in Romans 7, and, and obviously Christ is good. And so what, what we need to understand is what the law was meant for. It's actually an act of God's grace that he gave the law because it reveals our inability to follow it right? Um, the Old Testament law was good because it was given by God. It brought bondage to people because their sin prevented them from fulfilling it. So, so it, it exposed their need for something or someone uh, to obey or to help them obey. Um, and so then enter Jesus, who is sinless. And what does he say? I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. All of my righteous obedience now fulfills the command of God. So now in Christ, we've been freed from the bondage of law, of, of sin and death. Paul says in Romans 8, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So the law could never give us the obedience required. It only revealed that, that we lacked that obedience. And now Christ and the spirit of uh, life in Christ has set us free from uh, bondage to this law. And now we are, we're slaves in Christ. We're slaves to Christ. Uh, but slaves of righteousness. We've been made righteous already through him. And so this, this frees us up so that we don't look at this and, and hear James going, don't be hearers, be doers, and think that we need to do something um, to obtain the righteousness that we've already been freely given in Christ. That's not what he's saying. Uh, obedience does not produce salvation. Salvation produces obedience in Christ. And so... Um, so now we are freed from the bondage of the law through Christ, who has fulfilled it on our behalf. And we are free to follow God's word uh, in obedience through Christ and by his grace. So don't just be hearers of the word, James says. Be doers as well. We need to hear it. We need to receive humbly the implanted word of God. And, the, and, and let the spirit in us who leads us into all truth, who convicts us of our sin and leads us into righteousness and reminds us of what we've been given in Christ, uh, submit ourselves to the word through the power of the spirit and, and follow what it says. Uh, Jesus says, my commands are not burdensome. How can they be when we're united to him in them, right? Our yoke is, or, or we have taken on his yoke. Uh, that is that is light, and, and so um, we can f we are free to follow God's commands 
not because we, we need to earn the salvation, but because we've been saved. We've been given it in Christ. And so then um, James finishes this out by, by essentially saying, look, when you look into the mirror, this is what you should see right here. Verse 26, 27. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Deuteronomy 10, 18 says this about God. He, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the resident alien, giving him food and clothing. James says, when you look in the mirror and you do what God says, you should look like God. You should look like Christ, whose image you now bear, who, who, in whose image you, you are being remade. And um, this, this language, this pure and undefiled religion that he talks about, that pure and undefiled is language reflection, uh, reflective of the pure and spotless lamb uh, sacrificed on behalf of the people. So, so religion that's pleasing to God, like the sacrifice that's pleasing to God, that's pure and undefiled, is obedience to his word through the grace that we've been given in union with the pure and spotless lamb, Jesus Christ, the one who was sacrificed on our behalf. Notice here he says, this is so important, um, but the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and, and perseveres in it, uh, back in verse 25, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. James is not equating works with salvation. He's equating works with blessing. He, it, there's a huge difference there. And so for us, we need to remember this, that doing the word, being obedient to God's word is not to obtain salvation. It's to live out what we've already been given and to be blessed and to receive every spiritual blessing, like Paul says, um, to, to, to see and experience the reality of those spiritual blessings that we've been given in Christ, uh, like Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. And so all of this then, for us right now in, in this time and place that we are in, in, in the world, how, how should we apply this? Um, I want to give just a, a few ways and, and I think some of these might, might touch some nerves. And, and so I want to, I want to try to communicate these um, tenderly, but I think we need to hear these, these words um, because I want to help us guard against deceiving ourselves into what is truly important right now in this time. Okay. So here's the first thing we need to understand the difference between religious freedom, religious liberty, gospel freedom, gospel liberty. Now, we've been unable to gather for two months. We, we, we haven't been able to, um, but, but here's, the, here's what we haven't been unable to do. We haven't been unable to share the gospel. So over the last two months, even though you haven't gathered physically with the body of Christ, how have you taken advantage of uh, the opportunities that God has given you to share the gospel of Christ with others around you, family, friends, coworkers, through Zoom, whatever. Um, we also haven't been restricted from access to the word of God. 
we've been, we've, we've been limited in our in-person gathering. We have not been limited from the gospel itself. We've not been limited from the word itself. Those are, those are self-imposed restrictions if, if we haven't taken advantage of those things. And so how have you used the last two months to look intently into the word of God, into the implanted word, and grow in your union with Christ? I say these things not to, not to, to push you into a works thing. This is not, not, to, not to condemn or not to, to say, man, you wasted your, your time or whatever. But these are questions. The word of God. Uh, is a mirror into our heart and exposing our, our thoughts and intentions. We need to understand the difference between religious liberty that we've been given as Americans through the Constitution and gospel freedom that we've been given in Christ. We need to be very careful and guard against sacrificing our gospel witness at the altar of religious liberty. Religious liberty is an American right. It's not a Christian right. In the sense that we are thinking of it, uh, in our country right now, all throughout the New Testament and all throughout church history and currently right now in churches on the other side of the world, especially people have shared the gospel, whether or not the government gave them the freedom to do so publicly. We should be thankful for the protection that our constitution offers us. And we should never be afraid to take advantage of our right to participate in the democratic process and make appeals to our governing authorities to uphold our constitutional rights. But we always must do so in humility, in gentleness, in patience, and in love, never in anger, never in rage. So as to maintain our gospel witness and reflect the, the, the one whose image we bear, Jesus Christ. And so, so if you're slandering government officials with your words on social media, with t-shirts that you're wearing, with signs that you're posting in your yard, regardless of whether or not they've infringed upon your rights as American, as an American, you're not giving witness to the grace of the gospel. You're giving witness to your own sinful desires. Slander is never okay in the name of Christ. It does not matter uh, whether or not you disagree with that, that other person. You're deceiving yourself. You're elevating yourself over that person to slander someone else and to use harsh and hateful words against someone, even against a perceived enemy. If you're going to do that, you have to dehumanize them. And the minute you do that, you deceive yourself and you forget that they've been made in God's image just like you. And you were once just like them. Go back and look at Titus 3. Paul says it. We too were once just like them. Hateful, malice, slander. He lists these things. But God in his kindness and in his love that he had for us in, in Christ Jesus saved us, not by works that we had done, but according to his great mercy. We cannot forget that. So we need to very clearly understand the difference between American religious liberty that we've been granted through our constitution and the freedom that we have in Christ, no matter what liberties get taken away from us. We need to be careful that we don't cling to religious liberty so tightly that we convince ourselves and others, this is huge, that we're unwilling to suffer for the sake of Christ. The biblical mandate from Christ to deny ourselves to take up our cross and to follow him means that we will and we must suffer with him 
and be willing to do so even to the point of death. We're not there yet. But we need to be very careful that we don't fight so hard for religious liberty that we send the message that we're unwilling to suffer for the sake of Jesus and convince ourselves of that same thing. When we look intently into the mirror of God's word, we find passages like Philippians 2, 1 through 11, that says Christ humbled himself and our, our minds should be the same. We should think the same way he did. He's king of the universe and he didn't consider that anything to be uh, used, to be grasped at that moment. He, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then he will be exalted. God lifts him up. God, the just judge. We find passages like Ephesians 4 that tell us to be eager to maintain the spirit of unity through the bond of peace as believers. It tells us to speak the truth in love, to be angry and don't, but don't sin. And we, we find passages like 1 Peter 2, 20 through 25, and that one I want to read. 1 Peter 2. 20 through 25, for what credit is there if you, when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it. But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, having put off the moral filth and, and the, the evil that's so prevalent, as James would say, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Christ has given us the example that we need to follow. So, in a culture of rage, in a cancel culture, as God's church, as, as uh, Christ's bride and body, we need to make sure that we are living the freedom that we have in Christ, but that we are doing that in obedience to the word of God uh, in a way that um, that helps us uh, receive humbly the implanted word and be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry and to follow in the ways of Jesus. And so um, I want to give us, if you were on the launch team, you'll recognize this, but I want to give us just um, real quick some, some very practical tips because as we continue to move toward uh, reopening and gathering back in person, we're going to have conversations more and people are going to be on different uh, sides of, of an argument. They're going to have opposing views, but we need to remember that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to treat each other that way. This is the person for whom Christ has died. And if Christ is willing to give his own life for that person, I ought to, to be willing to give them uh, the charity that, that, um, uh, that, that they need from me. Okay. So how to have gospel centered conflict, because it's, going to happen. Paul says, be eager to maintain the unity through the, uh, of, of uh, the spirit through the bond of peace. Unity does not maintain itself because we have these lingering desires and, and sin in us. 
And so here's some, some practical tips. Uh, things to remember when you're in conflict with a brother or, and or sister in Christ. It's not exhaustive, but these are super important. The first thing you have to do is define your terms. So much of the time, conflict arises because people aren't beginning with the same understanding of what they're disagreeing over. Okay, so what does stay at home mean? What is, uh, you know, social distancing mean? We got to define these things, how we're viewing and understanding these things. And that's not just for coronavirus related things. Um, what is justice? Uh, what, is, what is social justice? What is um, evangelism and worship and all these things, okay? Number two, you need to remember that you both bring sin into the situation and sin is blinding. We lie to ourselves more than we lie to anyone else. Number three, you both bring the gospel into the situation and the gospel is illuminating. The word and the spirit work together to illuminate the realities of the gospel for us. And that happens because in our, in, in our relationships with one another in the body of Christ, uh, or that, sorry, that happens best in our relationships with one another in the body of Christ, even through conflict. The gospel is illuminating. We need it. That, and number four, remember again, that person is a brother or sister in Christ, not a heretic. There's a difference in how you speak and treat uh, one or, or the other. There's a difference between contending against a, a false witness and, and, and confronting a brother or sister in error. You will need a brother or sister to lovingly confront you in your error at some point. And so how do you want them to see you when they, when they do that? That's the same way you ought to see them as well. Number five, you both need God's grace equally and God can and will use that other person to be an instrument of the grace that you need. So welcome it with humility, just like you welcome the implanted word. Uh, a good, good characteristic of, of a brother or sister who is coming to you with concern and love is that they will appeal to you from God's word and they will point you to God's word. It won't just be their words. They will come just like James did here from God's perspective with God's word and allow the spirit himself to, to bring that conviction that's needed in gentleness and patience and love. Number uh, six, God never works on just one person at a time. There's always a way for you to be sanctified through the conflict. Even if the other person is, is error is more apparent. There's always a way for God to transform you more and more into Christ likeness in that situation. Number seven, Patience is not a virtue. It's a fruit of the spirit in you. And it's absolutely necessary. Patience requires prayer, requires being uh, slow to speak, slow to become angry, being quick to listen. And it requires dependence upon the spirit. It requires humility. Number eight, be as charitable as possible. Assume the best of the other person, their intentions, their tones, their words, their body language. Seek to understand before trying to be understood. Rephrase their words before you reply with your own. Can you articulate their point of view better than they can? Listening well will help you keep you from lashing out, which is sinful, which is what we just talked about today. Number nine, don't avoid the hard stuff. I don't think we can in this case anyway. Don't ignore the problem. It won't just go away. You are meant to participate in an intentionally intrusive 
Christ-centered, grace-driven, redemptive community. That's Paul Tripp's words from his New Morning Mercies um, devotional, uh, July 12th. And, and number 10, God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. You might actually be the one who's wrong, at least in some part of the conflict. And so we need to remember these things. Keep these things in, in mind as we, as we walk um, patiently with one another, kind-hearted toward one another, remembering uh, and looking for Christ in each other, but all the while encouraging each other toward greater and greater obedience in Christ as we have been set free to do so uh, and, and to do the works that God has prepared in advance for us to do, Ephesians uh, 2.10, right? Um, and, and so we need to depend on God's word in us we need to rely on God's word in us uh, to help guard and, and to help truly sanctify and control the words that come out of us. Jesus says it at the end of his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, who is a hearer and a doer, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose. A global pandemic came and messed everything up and the winds blew and pounded that house. I added that part in, in just case you didn't know that. Uh, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. May we be people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, because we reflect the God who dwells in us through his spirit, who guides us with his word, and who has saved us through his son. And may we do this, not for our glory, but for his. It's a long haul. Requires endurance and patience. And God has given us the tools that we need to to walk slowly with him. Amen. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word and your grace and your patience with us. Lord, may we never uh, cease to forget your great patience with us. May we never cease to forget your great gift of salvation that you've given us through Christ. But Lord, above those things even, may we never forget Christ himself, uh, who we've been united to, that we don't just receive the benefits of Christ, we receive Christ. We walk not alone in obedience to you, we walk together with the Son of the living God who obeyed you perfectly and who empowers us through your spirit and guides us with your word uh, to walk as Jesus walked because we say we love him. So Lord, help us. Forgive us where we sin against each other. Forgive us where we sin against you. Lord, um, Bring justice to the unjust situations that are happening around us right now. Father, we long to see uh, wrong things made right. But Lord, we don't want to contribute in our desire to see that happen. We don't want to contribute even more and greater wrong. We want to be pure and holy in our conduct. We want to be Christ-like in our words and actions. So help us listen 
intently, look intently into the mirror of God's word that exposes the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Let us receive humbly this implanted word and the conviction of the spirit that comes with that. And let us rejoice in, uh, in the glory of the salvation that we've received in Christ Jesus. And let us walk in humility and love toward those around us, brother and sister in Christ and unbeliever, uh, that we might be reflective of the transformation that has taken place in our souls and continues to take place. We love you, God. We thank you. And we pray for the opportunities that we will have even today to live out, uh, to not just hear this word that we've heard this morning, but to be doers of it. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.